Welcome to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host, John Miles, and with me today in the virtual octagon is... Colby Peterson. And it's just us for now. A little later, we're going to be joined by, uh, what, Dan from the Black Sight Podcast. I forgot Dan's last name. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Daniel Strong from Black Sight Podcast. And we're going to have Katie Matheson from the Alliance for a Better Utah. We're going to talk about the special session that happened not long ago and uh, give you a little recap of that. But before we do, we're going to talk about the HAPHAPs. Colby, tell me the HAPHAPs. <laughs> I like that you come around, man. I like it. Huh. You know, John John pushed back JC Peeps on on the hap apps. He thought it was dumb. Oh, I remember. They were tall. And, and uh yeah, now John's all in. So no, uh, what, what's that. good? Uh I don't know, man. Let's see. What did we do this weekend? Uh oh, Dan and I were super busy. On Saturday, we went to the the highway cleanup with the Weaver Dams. Oh. And I uh, had a good time. Had a couple of uh, live videos out there that are on our Instagram and Facebook pages. So if you want to check those out, talk a little bit about it. And then we also went to the eight count wait rally downtown in Ogden with Malik and uh the northern utah black lives matter chapter which is also nice. a good time we had, once again we had some more videos um got to ch- talk with a few folks and got an idea for a show that we're going to be having on next week where we're going to be talking about the eight can't wait reforms what they are and ogden police chief randy watts recent response to those um reforms and kind of what's going on so to, uh, next week is going to be a lot of fun but yeah. a weekend of activism man it was great what about you Man, I went camping. It was, I, so it was I your anniversary, brought, right? Yeah, that's right. My anniversary. And we, we've gone camping on like probably four of our anniversaries now that I think about it. But this year we've got a new um, pop-up trailer. So this was the second time we took it out. As we're driving back through Morgan Canyon, I hit this pothole. And this is kind of a stupid mistake on my part. I did something dumb, but but I hit this pothole and it knocked the trailer up off the hitch. So it was dragging along the ground and it yeah. tore off the the swing wheel. So that was pretty fun fixing oh, that man. on the side of the road. Did you get it fixed and were able to at least to get it back home before you Yeah, I got it home. It'll be a pretty easy fix. Okay. Oh and I had a I went to lunch with good old Oscar. That was a good time catching oh. up on all the all the Weber County politics I've been missing. It's true. We should, we need to get Kingmaker, man. I mean, it's been tough because now, now he's a candidate, you know, which I we'll know. be doing candidate interviews very soon. The primary ends tomorrow. So we'll kind of, that, that season will be passed and now we'll be on to the general. And so we'll start doing candidate interviews. Um, I reached out to the Chris Peterson campaign. They're going to be coming on the Junction City podcast. So we've got a lot nice. of really good stuff in store in the next couple of months with candidates and um, some, some good politics stuff. Yeah, it's fun to talk to Oscar about the stuff that's not him being a candidate. Like, him being a candidate is going well. And, like, you know, I hope he could come on and talk about that stuff, the way that he's got connections. Like, he's been advising campaigns for so long that the way he's running his own campaign is pretty fun to talk about. Uh, But there is this one thing. I've got a bone to pick with our listeners, and it's that his nickname is the Kingmaker. And it's a nickname we gave him. And it's, it's not... He's not calling himself a king there seems to be the impression that oscar thinks he's some sort of king no but that's wrong we no. call him a king maker yeah he's the guy that makes the kings that's right he makes kings yeah man. And it just so happens he may be making himself a king but i think if that happens i think maybe even before that happens i think we should start calling him the congressman is that what you call him <laughs> i think that'd be good or legislator that'd be good too Mr. Congressman. Yeah, we have to come <laughs> yeah. up with a new one. If, if he gets yeah, elected, you know, we one. can't, I don't know, you know, 
because the, the, the way the way that Kingmaker came into my vernacular was, I don't know if you remember in like 2010, the Tea Party wave. There's a guy mm. out of South Carolina. He's a senator named Jim Dement. You remember oh, that guy? Oh yeah, I hate that guy. I, yeah, I hated that why. guy too. Huge Tea Party guy, just terrible, yeah. awful. And I remember listen, I listened to a lot of NPR then because I was in college at Weaver State and I worked graveyards at the Associated Foods Warehouse. So I listened to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I worked ten hours a night, nothing else to do but listen to podcasts, and so. I listen to all kinds of stuff. And I remember NPR would always say that that guy was a kingmaker. And I was like, oh, what a funny phrase. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I think that is a solid nickname. It doesn't matter what it refers to. Kingmaker is a good nickname. A person should let follow them their whole life. That's what I think. So yeah, well, that's the hat paps. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess with that, we're going to go to break so we can come back and talk about politics with the people from Black Sight Podcast. So uh, stick around after the commercial. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back to the Junction City podcast. We have with us today in the virtual octagon, Alliance for a Better Utah's communications director, Katie Matheson, friend of the show. Welcome, Katie. Appreciate you. And we also have a special guest with Mm. us. Black site. What's your title? What do you you want to Uh, We'll say host or co-host. Co-host and co-founder. How about that? There we go. That sounds good, yeah. (laughs) Co-host and co-founder, Daniel Strong of the Black Site Podcast, a show that we've talked about here. We had planned to do a crossover episode with you all back in March, but COVID. Yeah, the apocalypse happened and now... uh, I'm coming on tonight. You guys are coming on ours tomorrow, right? That's right. We're excited to do that. Yeah. But uh, we, were, we were bummed to be like, yeah, actually, we can't go to the black site and record with you guys on St. Patrick's Day, no less. We were so excited. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's not safe. I'm like, yeah. It's yeah. Not safe. We, so that was like the very first thing we had to cancel because of coronavirus. Yeah. We went out. We were off for about a month. Our host, uh, our producer, Bobby, is a musician. So he was. Uh, Bobby Brown. Whole, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, not that one. His whole life was upended by the by the pandemic, and so we had to give him a little breather. But we're back now, so uh, mostly on Tuesday nights. And thanks for having us on. Yeah, that's right. And you all live stream on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m., so you can watch those on Facebook or do what I do, which is listen to the feed afterward, um, usually when I'm delivering pizza or something and <laughs> catching catching up on the convo. Yeah, thanks. We're glad you're a listener. Yeah, mostly uh, Tuesday nights, dropping Wednesday mornings. We try to interview everything like pretty similar to the format you guys have. We try to have a, a new guest every week and tackle uh, some local and some national stuff and have a little fun. Yeah, that's one thing to note is you guys will delve into the national, talk about the statewide stuff. Had some really good guests lately. You've had Darlene McDonald, who is now the new national committee woman for the Utah uh, Democrats to the DNC. And then uh, you had uh, Andrew Stoddard, who's a legislator from Salt Lake County, talking about um, what to expect, I think it was, or kind of like what's going on with yeah, all these committee a special meetings. Session. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, they were both great. It's kind of hard to do these interviews over Zoom, but um, but it's been going <laughs> as well as it could. And it's in a way, it's kind of easier to get people because they don't have to you know drive all the way to our secret location in the middle of the Great Salt Lake. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Deep underground. No. Yeah. Under salt. Well, 
Well, we appreciate you being willing to come on the Junction City Podcast, and we're going to talk tonight about uh, kind of the recap on the special session that uh, Brian King talked to us about a couple of weeks ago. We sort of foreshadowed that with an interview with the House Minority Leader, and now we kind of want to bring the JC Peeps up to date on what actually happened a couple of weeks ago. How did things end up? Did we lose all education funding? How did it go? So <laughs> with that, uh, we'll, du- we'll dive a little bit into some notes that I made about um, how things went. And kind of especially the main question about education funding and how that ended up. So based on what Brian King told us a couple of weeks ago, they weren't quite sure about how much the budget was going to be missing. That number finally came out. The number was $850 million was the shortfall in what the original $20 billion budget. So based on that, doing a little bit of math, they pulled... $680 $680 million from the rainy day fund. I was surprised. Were you all surprised that they did that? Half of the rainy day fund? A third, they said. That's a third of the fund. That does surprise me a little bit. Uh, Katie? You know? Yeah, well, for a while, the whole talking point was that they couldn't possibly. And right. then they did. So, um, got yeah. I've got the second coming to think about, you know. That's supposed to be like 100 years of misery, right? I don't know. My, my memory is misery. Isn't, it, isn't there like a centennial or millennium? Yeah. The millennium is supposed to That's be right. like, a, I don't know. Been a while since I was in church. Hundred years but. of misery and a couple <laughs> no million rainbows. is going to fix it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the hundred years is good is good stuff after that. But anyway, the point is there's a big apocalypse coming, right? So we need the rainy day. Fight. I mean, I think we're there. I think this is it. I don't know. Could be. I mean, wildfires, earthquakes, pandemics. Like, <laughs> don't forget the, the murder hornets. The, yeah, oh, yeah. I always forget the murder hornets. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, and you know, the wildfires is an in- interesting point too because you know everyone's got to have fireworks. That's Ugh. We should do a whole episode on that. I don't yeah, know about you guys. That's a good idea. That, about that's been a whole too. thing. But so yeah. the point of the special session was to kind of spend the federal money that we're going to get right. But then we end up having to dip into our rainy day fund this much, also. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sort well, of. Federal, the so that it, it was two different things. the The allocation was allocation of CARES Act funds, but then they also had to deal with shortfalls on the budget side, which didn't have to do with federal money, it had to do with like what we were planning to spend in state money. So they had to readjust that. Does that I make can, sense? It's I like- can give you guys a perspective as a state employee on this a little bit. Um, the uh, won't uh, go into like my real job so much because I try not to dirty them up with my political musings, but uh, but uh, I do work for the state and, and we had discussions about uh, basically every state agency was supposed to bring, come to the table with and 10% proposed reductions in their current budget. And then that's because all the, my understanding anyway, from talking to Andrew Stoddard is all the subcommittees uh, that that allocate these things or or that report to the the budget committee, um, we're supposed to do the same thing. So they're kind of getting all their feed, you know, people who feed into them proposing how they could live with these cuts. And then anyway, it all went up and it seems like because they did into the rainy day fund and because maybe we had this special session in, in the middle of a kind of a brief uptick. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens, but for the moment, a little bit of a stabilization in the economy, they only ended up cutting about 1.8%. So it was on the least bad of the three proposed cuts, but you have to keep also from the perspective of state employees like me, um, we were also expecting to get a 3% cost of living raise this year, which is gone. So yeah. And, and, and then how each agency is dealing with the two ish percent cut, 
you know, may differ. I personally didn't get a pay cut, but we're, you know, we're not expanding into new things we thought we were going to and things like our travel and stuff is going to be restricted. But uh, so, you know, it's like we can live with it, but it's, it's a bummer for sure. And and do you think that, so that 1.8 was pretty consistent across the board? Like that's where, that's about how much most places were cut. I think other than Kate Brown over but I think other than education and social services, which is where the rainy day fund went to, um, everywhere else is dealing with about a, about a, you know, close to a 2% cut, I think. Right around there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And so to, to sort of piggyback on that, Daniel, so 2.2 increase in, in the education fund and then a 5% increase in social services, which I think was a, I don't know about you all, but that was an eyebrow raiser to me. Cause I was like, wow, they really invested in those services in a time when they would really be needed. Instead of saying, you know, Medicaid is the first is the first thing to get chopped, <laughs> which I was surprised at. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, I mean that, and that was a result of a public pressure campaign, because originally that's not what my understanding that the plan was, and it took a lot of kind of pressure from Democrats and other advocates to say, like, you know, don't cut funding for education or social services during a, a pandemic, like of all times, like this is what, this is what we put money aside for is to make sure that we can take care of our community when we have an emergency. So, I mean, now they're, they're going to run a, they're going to run with that through November and say, Oh, look, we did such a good thing. And I was like, yeah, you did a good thing because people were nipping at your heels to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm being pessimistic. No, I think that it's a fair take. And um, so I don't know if you all so Weber State Sports is on an app called Pluto TV. And in addition to carrying, you know, the conferences, Big Sky Conference of Sports, there are a bunch of these channels as well. And um, I was watching TV on one of those recently, and there are all these Greg Hughes ads. And I was like, man, what is this? And uh, one of the things that he's touting is the fact like, oh, we raised all of this money while cutting taxes. And I just, I feel like it's a similar thing to what you're talking about here, Katie, where they're saying, well, we've raised this money in the midst of this, but we also this, and it's like, Oh, that's, that's going to be the usual Republican line for the next four months, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're going to, well, they're going to try and do that. Say, look at this thing so that you don't look at this thing where our cases are rising, people are dying and we have no leadership whatsoever that we can rely on to do something simple. Like, you know, make sure that people are wearing masks in public spaces or frankly, like give cover to businesses so that they can enforce masks in public spaces. Right. I mean, they, they, it's such a cluster that, you know, the way that they've handled this and it's too bad because in the beginning, I think they did a great job. And then they just like, they just decided, you know, whatever it was for whatever reason, they decided to start opening when they shouldn't have opened. And there's no way apparently that we're going back into different phases of closing. So then they're going to have to say, yeah, like who could have foreseen a pandemic, which is true, but then they're going to say like, but look, we did the good thing by making sure that we funded our schools and social security. And it was like, yeah, but you didn't do the thing where you protected public health. Right. One of one, And you know, you guys at Alliance for Better Utah, just, I just put this on my Facebook profile. You came out with a filter that says, you know, e- public health is equals economic health. Yeah, there is no economic health without public health. And it's, like, it's, and and this is I sometimes focus group my family, my family who's not involved in politics. And so I was talking to them the other day, and you know they're like moderately involved in politics. Um, and my mom was like, "Well, you know, there's this lady who posted this thing on social media the other day, and she said, you know, the government has no right to close down these businesses, and you know, oh, it's so bad what the government is doing to our families." 
And um, and so we like, we walked through this whole thing. And at the end, I like closed mm. with that, which was like, if people are sick and people are dying, people are not going to go shopping, right? They're going to go on Amazon and they're going to get their stuff that way. They're not going to be supporting local businesses. So until we deal with a public health problem, we're not going to be able to recover economically. And it was like a lot, like they had never heard that before. Like <laughs> we should be making this case all the time. Revelation indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we were just saying about, or no, it's what I think Fauci just said about the stock market. He's like, whatever you do, the stock market is going to be affected by coronavirus and it's going to dip if coronavirus comes back. Right. So you're it's, not it's, protecting. It's sad, but like maybe we're getting off topic a bit, but that, that really is the argument that we'll win with Republicans. And it's really sad that the like, Hey, 120,000 Americans have died argument doesn't work. But if you tell them, if you don't fix the coronavirus, the stock market will continue to tank. That seems to work. And if you look at like the way, you know, even Donald Trump responded, he didn't do anything until the Dow was tanking. And then once it stabilized, he stopped doing anything again. So it's like almost like the best thing we could do to motivate pressure on this would just be to like, stop buying stuff. And that's really sad, but it seems like that will work. Um, Well, and the other lesson seems to be that like our argument for say being pro-choice all along should have just been an economic argument. That's all we need to do from now on. Right. Whatever the, whatever we can get to get that Dow going and all the things we're talking about would do that. It's just, we don't really think of things that way because we have empathy, but you know, yeah, right. Yeah. There's other (laughs) things that compel us. And so, um, also to be noted, a one point, the 1.8% increase in the WPU, the weighted per pupil uh, unit spending was retained in, in this you know thing. So they found the money to say, the thing that we committed to in the general session is what we are still committed to. We're not going to cut that. Um, but I, it leads me to the kind of the first question that I have for you all. And that is, it was sort of a deal that they cut with UEA saying, okay, we will do this, but you have to support or at least not stand in the way of a public campaign to remove the constitutional earmark from the education fund. They plan to move forward on that still because they feel like they've made good on that pledge. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Daniel? Yeah. uh, My wife's a teacher. So, you know, we pay attention to these things. Uh, I don't, I don't know though. It's it's pretty intricate in the weeds policy stuff here. I guess I'm trusting the UEA to, uh, you know, represent teachers' interests well here. I don't know if that's wise or not, but but they, um, it's like you said, I mean, I think they really put a lot of leverage and negotiating power into making this deal. And that has caused the legislature to do its best to stick to it, even in um, unprecedented and probably really unforeseen crisis. Um, So I think that's ultimately good for teachers. Um, And this goes along with the public health stuff too. Like, even in a really conservative state, it's politically toxic for um, legislature to cut things that are going to hurt students, that are going to hurt people's um, safety net programs. So I think we're seeing that here. And, and you know, it is because of public pressure, like we need to keep that pressure up. But it's also, you know, the, the, the bright side of all this is like, those things really do matter to real people on the ground. And the legislature gets that even um, when they have, you know, maybe a better excuse to be a little more craven economically. Katie, I wanted to ask you, I mean, with the UEA not necessarily standing in the way of a public campaign to get this on the ballot and ask the voters to remove that constitutional earmark, do you think that they're still going to gain a lot of traction? Um, I honestly don't know. And I don't know that anyone actually does, especially like in such an unprecedented year, like 
we have no idea what impact this pandemic and the the re-election attempt of Donald Trump is going to have. And, um, you know, we don't know, or, or even like these Black Lives Matters protests, like we don't know what all of these things are going to do. And also campaigning has changed. So how do you go out and explain this issue to people if you can't do door-to-door knocking in the fall? I have, I have zero idea. Um, I will say that I am not a fan of, and I know that UEA is backing it up. I'm not a fan of it. Same. Um, Me neither, right? Uh, unless, unless there's some like background information, which there very well may be that I just don't have. Um, but I don't, I don't trust the legislature with education funding as like, you know, just like I don't trust them really with anything else. So, um, well, the UEA I mean, seems voters, like they always have to just, they have to pick their battles all the time. No matter, like, so. Right. And maybe know. they're they like be, trying to put out the fire of our teacher shortage, shortage yeah. crisis, right? Like right. maybe that's what they're just trying to do. And and if that's their case, fine. Um, I mean, and in that case, the best case scenario would be like, if the deal was, they just don't stand in the way of the campaign. Okay. So fine. They don't stand in the way. Hopefully Utah voters like voted down because we voted down vouchers in the past. Like, School funding is consistently a number one issue. And also stuff like a constitutional amendment is so far beyond the understanding of like the average Utah that I just don't know. I don't know what the campaign would look like. I don't, I don't know if people would end up supporting it. So. And and see, that's my worry is that I look at past constitutional amendments that were approved by the voters, like, for example, two years ago when voters gave the legislature power to call itself into session, that was bad. And I think that if you had gotten a little bit more of an explanation to people's ears, they'd be like, oh, no, we wouldn't. We don't we don't trust those guys. We keep Mm reelecting them, but we don't trust them. Go figure. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder that if without the UEA potentially spearheading a campaign against repealing the constitutional um, earmark, who leads on that charge? You know what I mean? It, if Especially because I'm with you. I don't trust them. Guys, you guys nec- can come in and get a book. Necessarily to, uh, I don't trust them to take care of the, the funds once the wall has been removed, you know? They've shown yeah. that they've not been willing to spend the money in the past, you know, or increase that funding in a way that is needed as Utah Utah schools grow. And mm-hmm. so why would that change once the earmark is removed and they can now spend it wherever they want? That makes no right. sense. Right, it, it wouldn't. Right. I can't see the logic of, we have this money available to us now. We're going to take this uh, bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen down the road, but let's take what we can get right now. Mm-hmm. But like, maybe the devil's advocate this for a minute. Uh, the... I generally don't like inflexible kind of broad-based policy, kind of sloganeering, policy by sloganeering, where like the way that, the thing they're trying to change is that the current state of the Utah Constitution says that all income tax must go to education and nothing else. And that seems like a pretty big, broad mandate. I don't know how the origin of that, but it sounds like the type of thing that went to like ballot initiative and sounded good to a lot of people in past and now has tied some hands. Um, So I do think that's a real problem. Like it kind of reminds me of a lot of these like initiatives we had, like I used to live in California, we had three strikes and these other things that like sound good if you only think about them for a minute, but the real, you know, complicated policy issues that follow um, can be really bad. Uh, But the problem you all are bringing up is, is also real, which is that, okay, so we, 
you know, even though it might make sense from a policy perspective to give more flexibility in how, what we do with our income tax, it's like, who are we handing that power to? And do we trust them to use it to benefit our, our, our students? Um, and I definitely understand the skepticism there, but, um, you know, so hopefully there's some middle path here. And I think that's what UEA is trying to get to where there'd be like a like guaranteed funding at certain levels, but without saying that that funding must be all of the income tax. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure we'll have a robust policy debate about that at the time that it's actually on the ballot. Well, the reason that they're giving is because they say that we're going to be experiencing in the future a shortfall of the 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 general fund, right? Because we have the education fund and then we have the general fund. Um, and so if the issue is that the income tax is going into education and we don't have tax funds for anything else, the answer then is, okay, fine, you can open up the education funding, but then you need to reinstitute the progressive tax. And, and that's, and I'm like, okay, fine, then do it that way, but they won't do it that way. And by the way, John Huntsman gave us the flat tax. It's true. Yeah. I was about to point oh, that out. Right. That, yeah. You, John yeah. Huntsman did give the flat tax to the state. So John Huntsman is not good for Utah and he also supports school vouchers. So I'm going to stand on this. <laughs> Poor Daniel's heard me like yell about Dan Huntsman. I mean, John Huntsman so much. I still haven't voted in the Republican primary because I just cannot decide. I cannot fill a box for any of those assholes. You you signed up for it, John. I mean, you had I a CD1 primary that you easily could have joined the party on, but you wouldn't do you it. Can, you can go and can't you can reaffiliate on the day of, right? In person. Can't you do it in person? I don't know. I thought but I already reaffiliated like right before the deadline before. I don't know if I could reaffiliate back. You're going to give you're going to give the Weber, <laughs> you're going to give them the like heart heartburn just like all of <laughs> right. your going back and forth in the different parties. Yeah. It does well, sound kind of more fun than voting in the primary. Maybe I'll do it. Sorry. Well, guys. and we we had Ricky Hatch the Weber County clerk on what John like a week ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like this. And so, man, you, you know, get all just, the A-listers. <laughs> just barely, man. We're just barely getting there. Like, you know, but the elections, the county elections office, A-listers. No, that's a great yeah. idea. That's a great idea for a guest. I wouldn't have thought of that. We had him on. But, uh, you know, so if John strolls in on, you know, tomorrow, goes to Weber Center, 2380 Washington Boulevard, if you haven't voted yet, by the way, that's your place. It's the one polling place in the county. Uh, you drive they, up, right? Uh, are they doing drive up? I don't know. I think I think it's drive I think up. It might be. So so John Miles rolls up in his giant truck because he's a Republican guy now. He's got uh, the truck my cowboy he's... hat. Is that like when you affiliate as a Republican? Does it come with a giant truck? Yeah. Like releases <laughs> get, uh-huh. like gas into the air. John John is in <laughs> and the a shotgun. Now. Yeah. And, and a he, shotgun. <laughs> he's got it in the window, uh, so he's good. Uh, and he, he strolls it. You know, he rolls up to Ricky Hatch. And he's like, "Hey, I actually want to be a Democrat." Ricky Hatch might roll his eyes a little bit, like, oh, "John." He rolled his eyes when I told him I registered Republican. He's like, get out of my party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he probably did. But uh, that's a a great question. And uh, we don't actually know the answer to that if you can or cannot reaffiliate. But it doesn't matter because this won't be live by that time anyway. So Uh, I'm uh, are we moving on or can I ask? Go ahead. If if there's something else you wanted to bring up on the education piece. No, no, not on the education piece. I I wanted to know about the federal stuff. Okay. The uh, the I'm curious about. It looked like all of the money that came in uh, from the federal government were basically just uh, giving it to the rich people and expecting that to trickle down. Is that basically the plan there? Well, um, are you talking about like the five hundred billion dollars that went missing, or like no, we I can't mean, we can't find out where it went? Yeah, we can't find out where it went. <laughs> well, no, it, it looks like we're giving it to uh, real estate. 
oh, I should look at it again. We're giving it to real estate. We're giving it to, to travel agencies, right? Yeah. And then we're giving it to, uh, who was the last one? It's just like the, the three types of groups that are in the legislature, isn't it? <laughs> um, I uh, think some of it went to housing. Yeah. I think there was 20 million that went to housing. But like for context, so so numbers mean nothing when it comes to a state budget or like a federal budget. And and people are like, oh, you know, it cost like the $10.8 million that was spent on COVID response. People were panicking about that because it was in the same context of the hydroxychloroquine scandal. Uh-huh. And it was like, in reality, $10.8 million is like nothing. And oh, also yes. like we should be spending, we want our government to spend money on public health. But so 20 million was what I think they what they allocated to like housing assistance during the pandemic from some of that money. But for example, um, Senator Andreg had a, a housing bill that was $35 million this past legislative session pre COVID. So 20 million is really not a lot for, for housing, but they just, it was supposed to be available in August, I think. And they made it available immediately Immediately. instead. Um, but yeah, some of it did go to businesses, but I don't know if there were stipulations around what went to businesses in Utah. I know that some of it was meant to be spent on like masks and, um, um, like hand sanitizer and stuff like that. So, I mean, like down in public health stuff. Um, Mm. but in terms of the breakdown of like big and small businesses, I don't, I don't know where that went. Mm. Well, there was there was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune that did talk about it, and it sounded, I think, if I remember right, it was GoEd that was administering those funds, the Governor's Office of Economic Development. Is that right? And then the housing money went to the Department of Workforce Services. Is that right? Yeah, ha- housing went to Department of Workforce Services, and I'm remembering the GoEd, but I'm not remembering. It must have been, it must have been through through GoEd that the the businesses were getting that money. Yeah. And so they will be, uh, John, I, I think, administering some of those funds to, like they said travel and trying to help businesses who how did they put it man i should pull up the article because trying being it's like it's like um you know what is that thing where you go and look at things you know the internet no (laughs) no it's like oh god damn i'm sorry it's it's like oh tourism bringing people here it's like why are you encouraging tourism during a pandemic but also like i know that's a lot of our rural areas Tourism is like the way that they, it's like their economic driver in more rural areas. So I, I don't know beyond that. Yeah. So it looks like the bill loosened the criteria for a separate go-ed managed program for businesses to apply for a total of $40 million in rental subsidies approved in April. So they I think, I think it was that the program. Ultra cynic in me that was like, oh, great. The landlords are giving us taxpayer money so we can pay rent back to them but I can see how that's a valuable thing. So, yeah. So here's, that's, that's a question I have because I'm unclear if it was for renters, if it was rental assistant or, mm-hmm. well, it was rental assistance. It did say rental assistance in the article. Okay. So if it was, yeah, then if it was rental assistance then yeah, it's just going straight back to yeah. a lot of the, we need, we need, we need, we need an organization in Utah that advocates for renters. Like yeah. as our state yeah. continues to grow, we need, we need that. I didn't and read that need, whole sentence. It's 40 million in grants for rental assistance to commercial tenants. So it's not even to residents. No, well, there is, it, there's commercial and residents. The 20 million mm-hmm. is to residents. And then the other is to like commercial. I see. Rent. Basically paying Priorities. Rent. Interesting. Um, all right. So that's kind of some of the, the budget woes that we, I guess, short up. And both of those bills passed in the House and the Senate, I think, 
oh, I think it was unanimous. I think that like there was no dissent. It was like, oh, and I wanted to ask you guys, there's been kind of this line, you know, the, the, the way that the speaker began this uh, session, he talked about, this is no time for politics. You know, they send us here, they trust us. And it's been kind of his thing lately about how, you know, we need to be above all this. I wanted to get your takes on kind of his whole, we need to be here and, you know, blah, 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 you know, talk. Is it genuine? What do you think? I'm honestly tired of hearing it from Republicans. It's their answer when they don't want to talk about Trump and when they don't want to talk about how they're screwing us all over. They're just like, oh, no, now we don't want to talk about politics. Yeah, we're (laughs) we're protecting this crazy dictator because of politics. But let's not talk about politics. (laughs) This is me. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Daniel, what did you think? Yeah, it's annoying. Everything's politics, you know, like, you know, but politics is the process by which we determine policy and everything we do is policy. So uh, (laughs) it's this, you know, it's it's clearly designed to appeal to people's emotions and it's not really a logic driven argument. So just sounds like spin to me or you know general bullshit if you want to it's that whole it's (laughs) that whole it's that whole um orrin hatch thing yeah calls for civility right okay excuse me sir like your president is like doing all this insane shit and 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 the problem is not his behavior the problem is that we're calling it out and it's that same exact thing it's the same spencer cox thing all over again like we'll stop politicizing stuff when you stop politicizing a public health crisis, right? Like when you stop politicizing masks, masks. politicized yeah. now, yeah. Right? right? And it's like, and it's always the same, like the biggest sin in their minds is the fact that people could be contentious in the public square. And so, and, and like nothing else. And it's like, okay, well, you're diverting funds to these big businesses. Your businesses are profiting off of a pandemic. People are literally dying because, you know, it's considered weak now, apparently to wear a mask. But God forbid people call that behavior out. It's just it's yeah. so disingenuous and it's um it's really like gaslighty, you know, just to <laughs> oh, to try okay. and make people think that they're not perceiving things that they very much are perceiving and that are really happening. There's it's- such a double standard here. Like I was thinking about like as as someone who, you know, runs a politi- a podcast with uh, certainly liberal progressive leanings in a red state. I'm always thinking about like, how can I make this argument appeal to the other side? And that perspective makes me worry a lot when I see, you know, more extreme rhetoric on our side. And I'm like, oh no, like, like the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal is going to turn conservatives off, you know, uh oh, mm-hmm. what are we going to do now? Like everyone's looking at AOC as, as the standard bearer of the party or when Bernie was surging, I was worried about that. And it's, I've kind of had like an awakening in the last month watching the conservative reaction to coronavirus and you have people like i don't know if you guys are on the utah business revival facebook group but uh it's essentially a a racist hate group um but like nothing on i'd say 95 percent of their posts are devoted to um that you know like the like comments like we saw this week from the uh the county commissioner who said uh, that, you know, or, I mean, uh, Governor Herbert was Hitler because he allowed Salt Lake County to do masks. I mean, things like that, or just complete anti-science stuff about how masks don't work. And anyway, I'm like, if I applied the same standard that I try to hold liberals to, to conservatives, I would be tearing my hair out right now because the people who are getting, who are the loudest and who are getting a lot of the coverage are like literally saying things like, um, you know, like that the, the, the they won't wear a mask because it infringes on their freedoms, which to most 
regular people sounds completely insane. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's like apparently a pretty loud contingent, but it's small polling shows that like 70% of people think that the government hasn't done enough to control coronavirus and the government is just barely saying, hey, maybe you should wear a mask. So most people are on our side on this one. And yet the conservatives never seem to have that same self-policing instinct that, you know, that I seem to have and that a lot of liberals have where we worry so much about the extremes of our party where, you know, people like Spencer Cox uh, will tell you that we need to have this conciliatory tone, but won't really push that on his own people. I mean, granted, he's in a primary and he needs those votes, but like they really don't seem to to ever really worry about that. Oh, yeah, you know, those people are out there, but uh, we, we just won't talk about them. And, <laughs> you know, that's fine if you also ignore the things you disagree with in the far 10% of the left, but you don't. You make it sound like those are everybody. So if we're all going to be judged by our extremes, theirs are a lot worse. Right. Well, and I mean, like, it's fair for us to be probably more nervous, like, with a national view to be more nervous about the extremes of the left than the extremes of the right. Because like, to complete be completely honest about it, it's the Republicans who control redistricting. And it's the Republicans who get an advantage with the Electoral College, like, it's tilted in so we have to regulate ourselves more than they have to regulate themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't make it any less frustrating. But that is the case. I mean, like today, so today SCOTUS had a really great decision on a terrifyingly thin line about mm-hmm. reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. And um, this was the case that everybody was hoping would like start the wave to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I saw, you know, some conservative who trolls us on, well, they're a libertarian and they troll us on, uh, on social media and on their post on their Facebook today, they wrote that the Supreme Court was controlled by the satanic deep state because of that decision so, and, and that's just and that's like Ooh, you can boy. elect this person with that kind of rhetoric it's right. it, it totally exists and i mean like i mean the way that you know to kind of tangentially get at your point dan the way that we connect with more um people who vote conservative but who are probably on each individual issues with us mm-hmm. it's always through values that you communicate with them you know we all we share a lot of the same values it's just sometimes you get caught in this, you know, system of like doing the same thing over and over. And I think in Utah, you know, voting Republican is a cultural thing, almost more than a political thing, just like religion in many ways is a cultural thing as much as a religious thing. So I think that kind of helping people break free of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the weird thing about it is, is that I think that Donald Trump in some sense has helped some people break free of that pattern. Now, other people think Donald Trump is the best thing to have ever happened and it's brought out their insanity. But on the whole, I think that this is certainly a time of great change. Right. And um, there's a lot to actually be optimistic about, even while it feels like the sky is falling. Yeah. Um, so we are at about 30 right now. Daniel, I know you said you had to go because you had to watch a show. It's 8.58. Oh. <laughs> I'm good for like another 10 minutes <laughs> or so. If you okay, need, uh... that, was my, that, yeah. that, that was my question. Sure. So I, Survivor. I want, to re- I want to respect your time. Well, we'll oh, edit that you. piece out. Don't no, tell sweat. Um, but okay, because what I want to do now is I just want to get through. We're not going to go through all the bills that I wrote down because we've only got 10 <laughs> minutes. Delivery on that. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but I do want to ask uh, a couple of questions about some of these other bills that I put in the rundown. And so one of the, one of the bills that got passed uh, this in the special session was HJR four, which extended the governor's state of emergency until August 20th. He had originally asked until August 31st and the legislature being the legislature has to push back and say, 
no, we'll only give you until the twentieth. I guess eleven days. <laughs> right. I feel like it's like I feel like it's a flex on their part, honestly. <laughs> Definitely. But but I wanted to get you all's takes, and I wanted to start with you, Daniel, as as a lawyer to say, okay, some folks, both Republicans, Democrats, Suzanne Harrison was a person saying, yeah, maybe we should shorten that up because you know the state of emergency brings these powers that allow the governor to circumvent normal procurement rules, and we've seen how that's gone. Right. right, Katie, you've talked about that on your Twitter feed, and I think Abe, you had a blog post about it, about how you know we've we've looked to the private sector to fix our problems, and it really hasn't panned out for us, has it? Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, as, as a lawyer, Daniel, I wanted to see like what did what did you what do you think of that argument? Uh, you know, on both sides, like oh, we should extend the state of emergency. No, we really shouldn't do that because that's dictator stuff. And you know, yeah. what's your take? You know, as a as a legal mind. Uh, I don't know if my legal expertise is really going to add anything that's not that's not common sense here. But like, you know, emergency powers are for emergencies. Um, This is a really crazy time. uh, But how long is the emergency like this is this is the new normal for for us now. Right. And so, uh, you know, we can have special sessions. I don't it's it's such a weird position to be in, because in many ways, I trust um, probably the Herbert administration more than the legislature to be judicious with how it awards funds. So, you know, policy-wise, I probably support um, keeping those powers with the governor as long as we need him, you know. Um, the Not that, you know, he's been great lately either, but, but uh, you know, so policy-wise, I think, it, like, it probably is better to keep it going right now. Philosophically, I think I'd probably come, you know, trying to be objective, come more down on the side of, like, the emergency part of coronavirus is kind of over we now need to be thinking of this as uh the new normal and how are we going to legislate to you know to live with this virus for probably at least another six months maybe 18 months you know we don't know but um you know we're gonna have at some point a vaccine we're gonna figure out how to roll that out um do we want to be knowing that those things are coming that this is no longer like snuck up on us we should probably have some kind of policy plan for how we're going to, you know, hear the voice of the people in all those decisions. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't think I'm really against ending it August 10th or extending it to August 10th. Like, you know, we're still in the beginning of this t- to some extent, but, but going forward, we'll, we should be thinking about these things in a much more long-term way than I think anyone has been. Like, I still don't know what is Utah's plan for the next year. I don't know what the country's plan is at all but utah's is is also not very clear so yeah and i would say that even in weber county the plan is there's no plan <laughs> yeah they're really, they're really the commissioners yeah. i think are have been pretty pedestrian step, outside step of one it. uh contract coronavirus step two dot 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 step three profit i think is the uh that's the plan right <laughs> no, <laughs> so accurate. So not too far off reference for you yeah i don't know <laughs> so Katie, I wanted to get your take on that. I mean, how do you feel about the the state of emergency and you know extending it, shortening it? What's what's your take? Um, I agree with Dan. I think that we should extend it. I mean, that's the job of the executive is to respond nimbly in a state of emergency, right? Like that's why we want them there. The problem here is not the state of emergency. The problem is the problem is not necessarily the government. The problem is the conservatives who are in our government, hmm. and that's like such a hard distinction to suss out for a lot of people. But um, yes, I think the executive branch should have the ability and the authority. I mean, I, I mean, I think that we are actually are in more of an emergency now than we were before, or at least the same level of emergency. I mean, certainly like we talked, Dan, on, on Black Site, 
last time I was there about the color coded system and how yeah, if we were going by risk right now, we would be in red, not in green. Right. 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 Yeah. We're and, in yellow and people are like, Oh, it's fine. That was a great conversation by the way. You know, after that, just on that, since you brought it up, uh, I was talking to my wife and she had a great way to actually understand the colors, which is they're, they're, a, they're like a stoplight for the virus itself. So if it's green, the virus is free to run into your county, you know, if it's red. That's some reverse psychology so, yeah. stuff right there. But that is how yeah. we should be thinking about them because it's really, it's really the color indicates how freely we're allowing the virus to move in your area. And that's all. Yeah, but like self-centered individuals risk. are not going to be yeah. thinking about it that way. They're going to be thinking <laughs> about it in like, how fast can I go to a restaurant and get my haircut? Right. Right. right? Anyway, yeah. So I think that I think that we should have the state of emergency, but also I think that the executive branch should stop outsourcing its job. Like they should be doing the job. They shouldn't be giving this, you know, this money to these private companies and expect that they are going to be taking care of it. Like it is our job. It is the government's job. It is the public sector's job to attend to public health. And yeah. that's not what they're doing. They're outsourcing it. And that's why the Democrats are having problems because they're like, okay, where is all this public money going? We're paying things that we're not getting and the tests that we are paying for are inaccurate, right? Yeah. And so the problem is- Where's is the app, piece. right? Where's right. the app? But, right, and then there's also the, and then, but the legislature, as you know, as we've talked about in Junction City podcast is always in the business of hoarding power for themselves. Right. And so they want a piece of it too, because they're super offended that Gary Herbert did something without their permission. So then they want to be involved too. And then you get the situation where you're governing by committee. So what happens if, you know, we continue to get spikes in cases and when we inevitably end up with overflowing hospitals, what happens when we don't have ICU beds Then we're in another state of emergency, but if the state of emergency has ended, then the legislature has to decide that it wants to give, you know, that we can have another state of emergency or Gary Herbert has to reenact yeah, another state of emergency. Because that'd be, I guess, in my mind, a kind of a different emergency. Like, can he declare now hospital beds are full? We're in a new state. I don't know. I'm not clear on the power structure of them ending the emergency and him declaring it and, and how all that have that, you know, what limits there are on either side of that. Well, I guess you could because he declared another state of emergency for the protests, right? And they declared yeah. another state of emergency for the earthquake. So that's that's true. In theory, he could. But it's just like, it, it's such like, you want to talk about playing politics. Like, here you go. You know, yeah. it's a power struggle in the middle of a pandemic. And what we need right. is people who are just doing their jobs and not trying to outsource it and not trying to, you know, take power for themselves. Yeah. So, and it actually leads me to the last question I have for you both for this segment. And it was uh, so they passed HB 5009, which requires the governor to tell the legislature within 24 hours of spending $2 million or more or spending any federal funds. Katie, I think that you you spoke to this a little bit just a moment ago, where you said it becomes governing by committee because the governor goes and spends this money. Now he has to report to the state legislature what he's doing, uh, and once again, the state legislature is hoarding power to itself. Mm -hmm. what, that what, one I'm not worried about because it's on the back end. The one that I'm I was worried about was the bill from the last special session, which required 48 hours notice of a state of emergency and then they changed it to 24 hours notice because that was on the front end. So like in theory, that could limit the governor's ability, like the speediness with which a governor, you know, declared a state of emergency mm -hmm. or like made a, like made us a, a big uh, spend. But this one I think can be on the back end. So it's just like a, Hey guys, I did this. I mean, I think that that's to get at, my guess is that that's to get at what's been going on with all of these 
um, misguided app purchases, mm-hmm. like all of these private sectors. So I think that that one's okay. Do um, we think the legislature would have been any more reluctant to like hand over a bunch of money to the Silicon Slopes to develop the app though? Like, I, I don't know no, where they no, get they off like just, acting high and just, mighty on the, on the purse strings, you know? <laughs> well, I think, I think that, I think that Andrew Stoddard would have, because he, yeah, he but, and, and um, representative Harrison, Rep, Stoddard sure. and Harrison probably would have, they've been really, you know, going after this thing. But no, I think the rest, like, I think that um, Rep Gibson would be totally fine with it. He just wants to be the one to say that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and one thing to note on that law is I think it has an expiration date for December of 2021. So that, mm-hmm. that law eventually goes away mm-hmm. regardless. So, well, folks, I appreciate you being willing to chat through some of the happenings of the special session, which was just one day, but so much got done. We There were so many other bills that we didn't even talk about. <laughs> yeah, don't spit on police officers if you have coronavirus. That's yeah, a, don't do that now because uh, that's, that's, that's a thing. They can and take the, your blood and yeah. you'll get charged. <laughs> yeah, the court can do that. And you also can't sue businesses or government if you get COVID on their property, which is continued to trend. Oh, did they pass that? That's uh, an Alec bill. Yeah, is it? Yeah, Alex. That's an interesting talked about one. Alex here. That, but oh. that one's from not this past session. That's from one or two, like the the, the special session one. before that. Yeah, that's so they can allow you know, so they can protect businesses who want to open from from like being held liable for any mistakes they make in that process. It's right, like that Utah County yeah. business that right. didn't close down that we're about to find out the name of. That's oh right. boy, the court but that today. was the, yeah, we'll that find was in April when they passed that. And that was when we all thought that when Gary Herbert said, we're going to let the data guide our decisions, what he meant was health data and what he clearly meant was economic data. Right. So they were, they were, I don't know the sports metaphor. There's a sports metaphor where you tee up the ball. <laughs> I don't know, like spike the ball, whatever it is. They were the preparing the sports ball to be hit <laughs> out of the park by Gary Herbert on that one. Just like, all right, businesses are protected. They gave him a meatball pitch. They uh, teed him up. But by the way, baseball on on July 24th. Can't be more excited. Can't be more excited. Oh, Oh, it's happening. They're going to pull that rug out from under you, buddy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to do it. (laughs) Watch. It's going to happen. Don't don't, don't crush me. I've been waiting for live baseball for three months. Build up your expectations. Good luck. Let's watch Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) well, I want to survive (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank you both Katie and Daniel for coming on the Junction City podcast to talk through some of this. We really appreciate it. Um, And we'll look forward to going on the Black Side podcast, Daniel, tomorrow and chatting with you folks about much more in Utah politics. Crossover week. Yeah. Yeah. Sweeps. A sweep stunt from the Utah (laughs) politics podcast. People, you remember uh, early, late 90s TV references. There we go. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It was good to meet you, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a, yep, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll have pinkies up, thumbs down, and some events for you. So, oh, and polls. Stay tuned. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. And we're back. Thanks again to Dan and Katie for joining us. 
let's move on to the polls. Mm-hmm. I guess just one poll. One poll I put up there this week. Yeah, this is you. Listen, last week I was debating this with my wife. So the poll was, to what extent are you loosening social distancing restrictions on your kids? Three JC peeps voted they can play outside with friends. Three JC peeps voted I have kids. Two <laughs> JC peeps voted they can participate in group activities involving 10 people. Two JC peeps voted they can hang out in the park and stay six feet apart. I wonder how much of these would be different even now because, so, I mean, this came from my wife and I arguing about the, the sending my daughter to dance class and whether or mm-hmm. not that was safe when it's just a group of 10 kids. Um, and my, my wife really wanted to send her just kind of for the sake of her sanity. But I think even just over the last week with the kind of cases we've had, I think my wife is like, no, we're, we're like, I noticed the public sentiment changing. I feel like I went to the grocery store last week and most people were not in masks. I went today, everybody was in a mask. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. That's one thing that I didn't bring up in the last segment was, uh, one of the articles that we did for research, um, on the budget segment, the special session, it, uh, I think it was the Des news one. It noted the, the use of masks on the floor mm. and that the only people in the legislature who weren't wearing masks were Republicans. All <laughs> the Democrats wore a mask. Right. So Most once right. again, just sort of, you know, so, you know, cementing that political divide, I guess, over wearing masks or not. Right. Been laughing like, um, there's okay. a uh, there's a funny there was a funny meme online that was like, oh, you think you know wearing a you mask because of carbon dioxide is problematic? Like, well, climate change is going to blow your mind. <laughs> I know, <clears throat> right? But that's how it is, right? Liberals are prepared to take small actions that have large, meaningful impact, and Republicans aren't. Um. All right. So what do we do now? Pinkies up or events? Yeah, let's do pinkies up. Pinkies up. All right. Do you want to go? Yeah, I just have a couple. And uh, so the first one is pinkies up to the Northern Utah Black Lives Matter chapter. Uh, They did a great job at the protest on Saturday. Um, It was great. There were some really inspiring speakers. Um, There was this one lady who uh, she was pretty young. I think they said she was 16. She read this poem and uh, it was pretty moving poem, man. Like it was there were some powerful words and a lot of good speakers went through the eight can't wait. Um, what do I want to call them? Uh, just demands, I guess mm. what, what eight can't wait is. They went through all of those to kind of explain what it is. And Malik posted later that they're going to be holding one of those rallies, protests every two weeks going forward. So, mm-hmm. so pinky's up to them for doing a great job. Then I also had a thumbs down to, uh, we mentioned this a little bit in the last segment, thumbs down to losers like Phil Lyman and Darren Bushman. Darren Bushman was the Paiute County commissioner that we mentioned in the last segment who compared Governor Herbert potentially allowing counties like Salt Lake County and others to mandate masks to Nazism. And I was like, wow, that's hyperbole. And then Phil Lyman doubles down on on that and tweets, you know, following that up with like, yeah, you think the Nazis just, you know, went around and started killing people? No way. They uh, they they had them wear armbands first. And it was like, oh, yeah, because because that's the same thing. Yeah, that's what's (laughs) going on here. Yeah, it's like, dude, come on. You're kidding me. But the most frustrating thing and we once again, we talked about this a little bit in the last segment was so 
Brian King, the House Minority Leader, weighed in on that tweet and just said, listen, man, listen, Phil, I mean, like, you should delete this tweet. It's pretty bad. And then Phil Lyman, of course, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, you got to you got to beat your chest when you're being challenged by somebody. Right. So the speaker, Brad Wilson, weighs in. And instead of instead of coming down on Phil Lyman and his comparison to Governor Herbert and Nazism, he he goes all in on, well, this is this kind of rhetoric is beneath the office of a legislator and we need to be better. And so it's a lot more of that, what we talked about in the last segment about that Utah Republican call to civility when we don't actually want to talk about something or we don't want to actually have to call somebody out for their bad behavior. And just the whole bit is just thumbs down to all of that, man. It's like, no, you don't get to go out there and compare wearing a mask, which is a small thing that you can do to have that has a large impact in controlling the spread of the virus and keeping the economy open. And instead the speaker just comes out and says, stop being so mean to each other on Twitter. Like, what yeah. is that? Thumbs down to that. It's, it's garbage. Yeah. He's my, he's one of my thumbs down too. Uh, speaker Wilson is, I, I'm sorry, Hughes, Greg Hughes is who I'm talking about. Oh, okay, Greg that Hughes. guy Sorry, I thought you were talking about him when you said the no. speaker, but no, that guy is a wang and he's just out there appealing to the worst instincts of Republicans. So I, I feel like he was jumping in on this too, talking about how Cox and the governor are just implementing these restrictions on people, you know, and I, I feel like he also compared it to Nazism in some way. But the other thing I saw is, uh, if you don't know the Utah Gun Exchange, it's this private gun exchange website. It's run by people who are obviously big uh, Second Amendment fans. And I was watching on there. They've been interviewing all of the the candidates in the different primaries. And so they had Hughes on there. And like you say, he's just beating his chest and just talking about, uh, you know, how important it is that we have guns and just really inflating like this dangerous ideology that these people already have and he's just pumping it up and making it seem like they're fighting for the freedom and the well-being of our nation and i just think that shit is disgusting like we don't need to do that you know that's not what the constitution says just stop enabling all of that shit it bugs me so much so yeah and i think that back to the point that you made just a moment ago john about Democrats are willing to do small actions that have a large impact, whereas Republicans, they gravitate toward a, a different set of actions. A lot of the talk around guns is always about protecting, right? It's about protecting. I need right. to have this gun on me because in case there's a trolley square shooting or something like that, I'll be prepared to protect the people there. But when asked to put on a mask that will actually protect people, they won't do it. And the reason is because they don't get to look like heroes wearing masks They don't in, in their minds. Heroes, heroes have guns. Heroes don't wear masks, even though superheroes actually do wear masks. <laughs> right. I don't and know. They, they, right. They think it's more patriotic to shoot the guy who's telling you you have to wear a mask because that's tyranny. And your patriotic duty is to fight tyranny with guns like that yeah, is I, dangerous. He basically it, said that Hughes said that because of who his audience was. And when you watch those guys thinking that they're talking to an audience who's going to be friendly with that shit, the stuff that they will say, 
will shock you. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And like I mentioned before, watching, you know, Pluto TV and seeing these Greg Hughes commercials, hearing him talk, watching him talk has been an interesting thing because I haven't been a person who has been plugged in very much to the governor's race. Of course, you hear a lot about it on Twitter, but I haven't watched any of the debates. Mm -hmm. I haven't necessarily engaged with any of the campaigns. You know, I chose to stay registered as a Democrat because I wanted to take part in the CD1 primary. Mm -hmm. It has been a really interesting thing to watch Greg Hughes speak to a camera. And he's just one of those guys that remember Ricky Hatch talking about he's in, interacted with some people in politics and sometimes you get a vibe. That's mm -hmm. what I get with this guy, with Greg Hughes, where it's like, I listen to him speak and watch him. And it is just, this guy is in it for himself. <laughs> he really doesn't care about Utah. He just wants to sit in the chair. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, events, believe it or not, we've got events. July 4th. You think you don't got plans? You do. The Democrats are having coffee Saturday morning. 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Location to be determined. That's yeah. Bad. Well, I messaged Zach about that, and he didn't get back with me on exactly where it is. So make sure to follow that event on Facebook. That is where you will find if they hold it. I think they're going to hold it. If But if they don't, they'll let you know if, if it's canceled. But if but they arguably, do hold it, they will let you know where the location will be on the Facebook event. But arguably, the more important event for that morning, starting at 10 a.m. Saturday morning, is a House District 11 food drive with Jason Allen. That's at the Golden West Operations Center, uh, 5167 Adams Avenue. So just right. kind of all the way up at the end of Washington. It's right next to the it's right next to the Maverick on Highway 89. Right. Right where you turn to go onto the toll road. Yeah. And and down to Ogden Regional, the hospital, the, the libraries yeah. on that road. All that. So from 10 to 3, they'll be there in that parking lot uh, gathering food for the needy. So get out there, donate some stuff, meet Jason, get involved. And uh, that's all we've got for events. So please do consider following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on YouTube. We're putting videos up sometimes. You can donate to us on Patreon, make it a nice quick recurring thing a small amount will really help us out and if you give in any amount in a recurring amount we'll send you a sticker um, i got them i got them that's what they look uh -oh. like if this ever goes on youtube you can see what that looks like uh, <laughs> we've got a, a website where we've got our previous news stories and some of the ones that we're working on will be up there soon junctioncitypodcast.com you can email us junctioncitypodcast.gmail.com and uh I guess that's about it. Oh, I, please uh, rate us on all of the podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, but most, uh, please tell your friends about us. That's that's the main thing we want. We just want people to listen. So let people know we're around. Let them know we're talking about Weber County, and um, and we're awesome. I guess that's it. Anything anything else to add, Colby? No, just like you said, please let your friends know. That's how we grow the community. We uh, invite them to the Junction City Forum, our Facebook group. Uh, we'd like to have, we'd like to grow that Facebook group and have more conversations in there with the JC peeps. And also, it's a good forum. It's the most influential people in Weber County <laughs> chatting it up. There are a lot of good folks in there for sure. And um, <laughs> a lot of good discussion goes on. 
So please uh, tell your friends, invite them to the forum, and let's grow the let's grow the the following the community so that we can mobilize for change in Weber County. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's why we started it, and that's the goal that we are trying to achieve. Yeah, that's right. Because like we say every week, all politics is local.